0: Over 2,500 years ago, the holy city of Jerusalem was conquered by a hostile foreign army. Many of the Israelites were captured and taken to live as exiles in the enemy city, Babylon. The book of Daniel tells us the story of how God equipped his people to live faithfully during this time of captivity, in a place with very different values than their own. As we seek to follow God in our world today, we can learn a lot from Daniel's journey. His story shows us how we can live faithfully, with hope, Wisdom and integrity as strangers and exiles. All right, good morning. Hey, today is our last day in our series on the book of Daniel called Strangers and Exiles. We're really going to focus on Daniel chapter 10 today, uh, but we've skipped some sections of Daniel, and I'm going to do a quick overview, um, because the book of Daniel is really divided into two parts. There's the practical part of Daniel, and then there's the prophetic part of Daniel. And we've really focused on the practical part of Daniel. It describes how Daniel and his friends lived faithfully in the kingdom of Babylon, which represents a, a spiritual reality of the kingdom of this world. And they were living as people of the kingdom of God in the kingdom of the world represented by Babylon, which Babylon is mentioned in the New Testament in the book of Revelation representing this idea of a spiritual kingdom of this world. And it's really clear in Scripture, and it's really clear to any of us who look around that there is tension between the values and priorities of the kingdom of God and the values and priorities of the kingdom of this world. And so we've looked through the book of Daniel to help us navigate as the people of God how we can live faithfully in the world around us, in the culture around us. And so we've looked at the practical pieces of that, how Daniel and his friends um, chose to live faithfully to, to honor God to the point where they were willing to be thrown in a fiery furnace and thrown into a lion's den because they refused to bow down to the values and priorities of the kingdom of this world. They lived engaged in the culture around them. They made a difference. They didn't isolate. They didn't assimilate and just become like Babylon. They, they didn't fight. They lived engaged. They lived faithfully because Babylon needed them, and they made a difference in the lives of the people of Babylon to the point where King Nebuchadnezzar said, your God is the true God. So we, we've looked at these practical portions of the book of Daniel, and today we're going to focus on the prophetic portions Um, But we're not going to get too deep in the weeds on the prophetic stuff because really the, the point of these prophetic passages is to remind us that God is in control. And so we saw in Daniel chapter 2, and I'm going to go through this pretty quickly, a a vision of this statue that had four parts, and the four parts represented four kingdoms that would come, Babylon and Persia and Greece and Rome, and at the end of Daniel chapter 2, we see that this little stone, not cut out by human hands, comes and crushes the statue and sets up a kingdom represented by a mountain. And in First Peter chapter 2, we see that Jesus is the living stone, the stone that the builders rejected. He is that stone that comes and sets up this kingdom that would rule and reign forever over the nations of the world. In Daniel chapter 7, we see a vision of these four beasts, and these four beasts represent again four kingdoms. There's this lion and a bear and a leopard and this massive evil beast with teeth of iron. And again, it represents these four kingdoms, Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. And at the end of of this, uh, we see the Son of Man from Daniel chapter 7 come and set up a new kingdom. Let me just read you this little portion from Daniel 7, 13 and 14. Daniel says, I continued watching in the night visions and suddenly one like a son of man was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was escorted before him. He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed out of Daniel chapter 7. Do we have the notes for the screen, guys? Because we're going to be in a lot of different scriptures today, so we'll get there. So, that's Daniel chapter 7. Now, we're going to jump to Mark chapter 13, and so it's quite a jump, but I'm going to read it for you. It's a similar description to what we just read in Daniel chapter 7. Jesus is speaking to the disciples in Mark chapter 13, and he says, then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. He will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Again, we see this conquering king, the son of man, that is Jesus Christ who would come on the clouds of heaven as described in Daniel chapter 7. And then in the book of Revelation, the book of the end times in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7, it says, look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him, so it is to be, amen. And Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, the one who is, the one who was, and the one who is to come. Again, Daniel chapter 2, we see this prophetic vision of these four nations that would come and go and be ruled and reigned one day by an eternal kingdom of God. In chapter 7, we see a similar picture. And the Son of Man who would come and rule and reign. In Daniel chapter 8, there's a vision of a ram and a goat, and they fight each other. Daniel 8 tells us that the ram represents the kingdom of Persia, and the goat represents the kingdom of Greece under Alexander the Great. And that kingdom would be divided uh, into four parts set up four smaller kingdoms that would eventually be taken over by the Roman Empire. As I think about all of these prophetic pictures, these visions that Daniel has, I can't help but think of course of the conflict that is right in our faces this week as, as Russia is invading and, and going into occupy Ukraine. And as we live in this world, the kingdom of this world, there will always be wars. There will always be conflict. Nations will always be battling and fighting against other nations. One nation will say, no, I have a right to this place. And another nation will say, no, I have a right to this place. And there will always be conflict. And we pray for the people of Ukraine we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't know if you know this, but Ukraine is one of the hubs of missions and evangelical ministry in, the, in Eastern Europe. Um, a lot of ministries that, that serve all of Eastern Europe are, are located in Ukraine. And, and so we pray for our brothers and sisters there. I, like you, have seen a lot of the footage of, of missiles blowing up buildings and, and kids crying and, and people suffering. But the thing that encouraged me the most was a video of the subways in Kiev where people were, were hunkering down in, in shelters and believers, the people of God, were singing hymns of praise to God as a reminder that God is in control and as a, as a, as a comfort to those who gathered with them. Because nations will come and go. Unless the Lord comes back one day, the United States will no longer be a nation. That's just reality. That's the arc of history. But the kingdom of God will stand forever. So we see that in the book of Daniel in chapter eight, the ram and the goat and these divided kingdoms. And in Daniel chapter nine, Daniel prays a prayer I mean, he's just kind of freaked out by all of these things that he has seen, these prophetic visions. He's brokenhearted for the ruin of the city of Jerusalem where what was his home, where the temple of God, the center of worship to the living God Yahweh was. And as he prays, God reveals to him that this time of, of exile is going to continue a little bit longer. At the end of Daniel chapter 9, we, we see this picture uh, where God says, 70 more weeks. And really, that's, that means 70 years times 7. Uh, uh, 70 weeks is, is 70 years times 7. The, the idea of weeks is, means 7. So it's says 70 times 7. If you remember, Jesus talked about forgive, 70 times 7 in the New Testament, it's a It's a significant idea in Scripture. So it's 70 years times 7, 490 years, and and there's lots of interpretations of what that means. To the end of of the Seleucid Empire, which came after Greece and and Israel, there was this guy named Antiochus Epiphanes who set up a statue to the god Zeus in the temple in Jerusalem, desecrated the temple, and, and he was killed, judged by God, died worms in his belly. I mean, it was wicked stuff. Some people think that's the end of this 490 years. Some people believe it's the advent, the coming of Jesus Christ. Some people believe it's, it's the second coming of Christ and they divide up that 70 times 7 uh, not as a linear number of years but as sections. But Daniel prays this prayer. We're going to look at in, in Just a minute at length at chapter 10, but let's jump to chapter 11 because we see this other vision. It's this great war that takes place between the king of the north and the king of the south, and it represents two human empires. After Alexander the Great died, his empire was divided into four kingdoms. Two of them were the Seleucid Empire, which took up most of the Middle East from Israel all the way over to Iran. Iran. And the Ptolemaic Empire, which took up Egypt and northern Africa. Um, Cleopatra came out of the Ptolemaic Kingdom. Remember the story of Cleopatra and Mark Anthony? That was part of the Ptolemaic dynasty. And chapter 11 and 12 describes this great conflict that will take place between the Seleucid Empire and the Ptolemaic Empire. And and if you wanna go read it on your own, there's all kinds of neat stuff in there and history bears out this incredible prophecy that took place. But it ends with a king that is an eternal king who will set up a kingdom that will never end. Chapter 12, uh, Daniel, the end of chapter 12. This is the last few verses in the book of Daniel. Chapter 12, verses 8, starting in verse 8. Daniel says, "I, I heard, but I did not understand. So I asked, my Lord, what will be the outcome of these things? And he said, go on your way, Daniel. For the words are secret and sealed until the time of the end. And then verse 13 says, But as for you, go on your way to the end. You will rest. That means you will pass away. And then you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance at the end of the days. In other words, the book of Daniel ends with, Daniel, it is weird, I know. You're not going to understand it all. It's for a day, a future time that is coming. But here's what I want you to know, Daniel. Kingdoms will rise, kingdoms will fall, but the kingdom of God will stand forever. And sometimes we can get so caught up in the obscure portions of prophecy that we miss the obvious. (laughs) And the obvious reality is that we live in the kingdom of this world, and there is conflict, and there is war, and there is persecution, and there are all these things. But one day, there will be a kingdom That will be an everlasting kingdom. And the people of God will be ushered into the presence of God as the bride of Christ, and we will rule and we will reign with him. That's what all of this is pointing to. But these prophetic visions kind of pull aside the curtain a little bit to give us a glimpse into some spiritual realities. Because we are physical beings. Of course, we have a spirit and, and we are spiritual beings as well. But really, we mostly perceive the physical world around us. We operate in the physical. We, we think about, we prioritize the physical. It's why Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, hey, don't worry about what you're going to eat and drink. God feeds the, the sparrows and he clothes the lilies. He'll take care of you too. But, but we get so focused on the physical because it's, it's what's right in front of our face. But in Daniel chapter 10, uh, God kind of pulls the curtain back to let us see these spiritual realities. So let me pray, and then we'll get into Daniel chapter 10. And uh, we'll try to go through it pretty quick this morning. So let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is truth, that your word is powerful, that your word is active and alive. Lord, speak to us through your word this morning. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to obey. God, draw us close. Encourage us where we need encouragement. Challenge us where we need to be challenged. And God, if there's anyone here today who does not know you as Savior, I pray that through your spirit you would draw them to yourself and make them alive. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Daniel chapter 10, I'm going to read a few verses. We're going to look at them until we get to the end. Here's how it starts. So remember, uh, Daniel chapter 9, Daniel has just prayed this long prayer, and he's heartbroken at the end of the prayer. Chapter 10 starts, in the third year of King Cyrus of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, that was his Babylonian name. The message was true, I want to make it really clear, this is true. This is not figurative, this is real. This is God's word. It is true and reliable. It was about a great conflict and he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three full weeks. I didn't eat any rich food, no meat or wine entered my mouth and I didn't put any oil on my body until the three weeks were over. At this point, Daniel is His mourning, he's grieving the the reality of the conflict of the world around him, the reality of the destruction of Jerusalem. And we see Daniel engaging in this prayer and with this prayer came fasting. This is where we get the Daniel fast from. Some of you have maybe participated in that before. This 21-day or three-week idea where we give up certain foods and Daniel said, I didn't eat any rich foods or drink any wine and I spent that time In prayer, pouring out my heart to God. Jesus in the New Testament, speaking to his disciples who were trying to cast out a demon from this demonized person, said, guys, some things only happen by fasting and prayer, and this is one of them. And there is a intensity to Daniel's prayer, and and we are called to seasons of intense prayer, just like Daniel. In these few verses, Daniel is Praying, He's pouring out his heart to God. This is what we call fervent prayer in the book of James. It says, the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous accomplishes much. Contending prayer. This is Daniel, I mean, he's getting after it. This is not God is great, God is good. Let us thank him for our food. By his hands we all are fed. Thank him for our daily bread. Amen. Or the quicker version, rub-a-dub-dub. Thanks for the grub. Yay, God, you know. Daniel is not just like throwing up a cursory prayer. He is contending in prayer. He is pouring out his heart in prayer in Daniel chapter 10. And then verse 4 tells us this. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up and there was a man dressed in linen with a belt of gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl. His face like the brilliance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and feet like the gleam of polished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And only I, Daniel, saw the vision. The men who were with me did not see it. But a great terror fell on them, and they ran and hid. I was left alone looking at this great vision. No strength was left in me. My face grew death, deathly pale, and I was powerless. I heard the words, and he—I uh, heard the words he said. And when I heard them, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. So after this season of fervent, passionate, contending prayer, Daniel gets a heavenly visitor in answer to his prayer. Now, look, Daniel has seen some stuff already, right? I mean, he's, he's seen the vision of the four beasts, and that was pretty gnarly. And, and, and he's seen these, these visions and had these dreams, but this is different. When this heavenly visitor shows up, it says that Daniel fell down as though he was dead. He, he seems to have seen something greater in this moment than all of the visions that he has had up to this point. We see people respond like this several times in Scripture and in the Old Testament and the New Testament when, when angels or some heavenly being appears to them, but, but this heavenly visitor who, who is not given a name in this passage comes and visits with Daniel. Verse 10, it says, suddenly a hand touched me, this is Daniel speaking, and set me shaking on my hands and knees. This is an improvement. Because first Daniel was, was laying dead on the ground almost. But this heavenly being touches him and, and now he's on his hands and knees. So right, he's, 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 that's an improvement from where he was. He was strengthened. And he said to me, listen to this, Daniel, you are a man treasured by God. Understand the words that I'm saying to you. Stand on your feet for I have now been sent to you. After this... He said to me, and I stood trembling. Don't be afraid, Daniel, he said to me. For from the first day that you pur- purposed to understand and to humble yourself before God, your prayers were heard, and I have come because of your prayers. There's so much comfort and encouragement to me in just these couple of verses. This heavenly being who, who caused Daniel to melt has now strengthened him and said to him, Daniel, you are a man treasured by God. What an incredible thought. Dearly loved by God, beloved. The idea that the God of the universe would love us or value us or treasure us in any way should fill us with awe and wonder. And yet it's true. And yet it's true. And not only that, he says, your prayers were heard. I don't know about you, but there are seasons in my life where I wonder if my prayers are being heard or not. I think we can all relate to that. And I'm sure at this season in Daniel's life, he was thinking, man, I'm, I'm here and I'm pouring out my heart and I wonder if anyone is listening. And yet this great heavenly being comes to Daniel and strengthens him and tells him, you are beloved of God and he has heard your prayers and I am here to give you an answer. Now, this is the part where it gets weird, okay? <laughs> so starting in verse 13, this heavenly being said, I, I've, I've come to an answer to your prayers, but verse 13 says, The prince of the kingdom of Persia opposed me for 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes or angels, came to help me after I had left there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to help you understand what will happen to your people in the last days, for the vision refers to those days. We get a glimpse now of this spiritual reality. This unnamed heavenly being comes to Daniel and says, I was on my way here, but the prince of Persia, this spiritual being, opposed me. This is real. This is true. There seems to be this heavenly, angelic beings at war with one another. The prince of Persia seems to imply that there are certain heavenly angelic beings who have regional power. Later we're going to see there's a prince, uh, a spiritual prince of Greece. And there's this conflict that takes place and the great archangel Michael comes and he enters into the battle. I mean it sounds like Marvel movies, guys, but this is real heavenly stuff says, he tried to withstand me. And here's what I want you to see from from this. We do have an enemy. He is a spiritual enemy. And he does not, he'll do anything he can to prevent God's comfort in our life. This heavenly being was coming to comfort Daniel and this other spiritual being contended against the comforter who was coming to try to cause Daniel to think, God's not gonna answer me. But he comes through. Let me read you some scripture out of the New Testament that points to the spiritual realities all around us. And these will be on the screen. You can write down the references if you want to to look at them later. Ephesians chapter six, verse 12. Many of you have heard this verse before. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. It's talking about this spiritual battle that's happening. Notice that we are called to struggle in this verse. We do have to struggle. It's just not against flesh and blood, it's not against each other. It's not a culture war, it's a spiritual battle that's taking place. 1 John 5, 19 says, the whole world is under the sway of the evil one, that is the devil. That, that he has control, he has power in the kingdom of this world, in this earth. Ephesians 2, verses 1 and 2 says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked, according to the ways of the kingdom of this world, listen, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. There is a ruler of this earth, a ruler of the power of the air, who has power, spiritual power in this earth. Second Corinthians four, four says in their case, the God of this age, lowercase g, the ruler of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. There's a spiritual battle raging. John chapter 14 verse 30, Jesus is speaking to his disciples Moments before he will go to trial and crucifixion. And he says, I I can't talk with you much longer because the ruler of this world is coming. But I love this, he has no power over me. Guys, there is a spiritual reality. Look, as we think about living as exiles and strangers, we have to understand the spiritual reality around us. We have to understand the spiritual things that are happening around us because self-help ain't enough. Life hacks are not enough. Tips for living well are not enough. We need spiritual power if we're gonna live as the people of the kingdom of God in the kingdom of this world because there is a spiritual battle and we can deny it if we want to. But we'll be victims of the power, of the prince, of the ruler, of the air, the God of this world. So, let me jump to verse 15 in Daniel chapter 10. We'll get back to Daniel 10. While he, that is this spiritual visitor, was saying these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was speechless. Suddenly, one with human likeness touched my lips and opened my mouth and said to the one standing in front of me, my Lord, because of the vision, anguish overwhelms me and I am powerless." How can someone like me, your servant, speak with someone like you, my Lord? Now I have no strength and there is no breath in me. And then the one with human appearance touched me again and strengthened me. He said, don't be afraid because, right, you are treasured by God. Peace to you. Be very strong, and he spoke to me, and I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Three times in that passage, we're told that Daniel is strengthened. If we're gonna live as exiles and strangers in this world, we have to do that in the power and the strength of the Spirit. We can't do it by willpower. We can't do it by force of personality we must do it in the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives it's not enough just to be a good person it's not enough to be a moral person we need the power of the Spirit alive and at work within us and this is this this heavenly being is is opening Daniel's eyes to these spiritual realities And so the question is, who is this unnamed visitor? Some people think it's the angel Gabriel because earlier in the book of Daniel, in Daniel chapter seven, it tells us that Gabriel comes to Daniel. Gabriel is specifically named. And if you remember Gabriel, he's the same angel that appeared to Mary and said, you're gonna give birth to a child. He's the same angel that appeared to Joseph, said, your fiance is gonna have a baby. the son of God. He's the same one that appeared to Zechariah in the temple and said, your wife's going to give birth to a son. Gabriel is often the messenger of God. But I don't think this heavenly being is Gabriel because Gabriel was named earlier and he's not named here. And we do have a description of this heavenly being in Daniel chapter 7. It tells us, if you remember, that he had a robe of linen, a belt of gold, face like lightning, eyes like fire, body like polished bronze. His voice was like a multitude. And there's another description that fits the bill. It's in the book of Revelation chapter 1, starting in verse 12. John, the revelator, is writing and he says, I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. And when I turn, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was one like the Son of Man. I don't know if you remember the Son of Man in Daniel chapter 7, who came on the clouds to rule and reign. It's a picture of Jesus. Daniel says, one like, or John says, one like the Son of Man. Listen, dressed in a robe with a golden sash wrapped around his chest. The hair of his head was white as wool, white as snow, and his eyes like a fiery flame. His feet were like fine bronze as it is fired in a furnace and his voice like the sound of cascading waters. He had seven stars in his right hand, a sharp double-edged sword came from his mouth and his face was shining like the sun at full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. Sound familiar? He laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid, I am the first and the last. The living one, I was dead, but look, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. I believe that this heavenly visitor that came to see Daniel was a pre-incarnate Christ. We don't call him Jesus in the Old Testament because Jesus was born in Nazareth, but before Jesus was born in Nazareth, he was the word of God, the eternal son of God, the second person of the Trinity. He was an agent of God, the creation of the world. And I believe he appeared to Daniel in Daniel chapter 9 to strengthen him, to show him what was coming, to let him know that he was treasured by God and that God heard his prayers. And as we think about the spiritual realities that are going on all around us, We have to recognize it, church. We we can't... We can't try to come up with human solutions, cultural solutions, physical solutions to spiritual problems. We can't legislate people into truth. It doesn't matter who's in control. It doesn't matter... What laws they pass, this is spiritual. And Daniel is pointing us to this reality, but here's the good news. This one who appeared to Daniel in Daniel chapter nine is the same one that appeared to John in Revelation chapter one. And the story ends with I am the first and the last, the living one. I was dead, and now I'm alive forever, and I hold the keys. I hold the keys. I hold the keys to these spiritual realities, to these spiritual powers. So this morning, um, my daughter Carly was singing on the worship team, and so I brought her up early for worship practice, and then I went and I was working on my message, and when I got in my car to come back up to the church for our nine o'clock prayer time, I realized that Brooke's keys for her van were in my car. We only have one set of keys. We, we used to have two, but we have four kids, and so now we only have one set of keys. <laughs> and uh, I realized that she was not gonna be able to get to church. She might be able to get in the van because sometimes we forget to lock the doors because we have four kids, and it's the thing, you know? But she couldn't get here because she didn't have the keys, And as I was just thinking about that reality this morning, I'm grateful for those little God moments where He said, Hey, it's kind of like this. Jesus holds the keys, so He's in control. Now, the devil and his spiritual forces, they might be able to get in our van, but they can't drive it because they don't have the keys. You might be getting your tail kicked. But they don't have the keys. First John says greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. It's talking about these spiritual powers. Now, we need to know that there are spiritual realities in this world. We need to know that because as Paul said, we have a struggle. There is a struggle. Life is a struggle. It's just not against flesh and blood. It's just not against the people around us. It's just not against physical things. It is against principalities and powers, cosmic powers. Spiritual darkness, that's what it's against. The God of this age, the ruler of the prince, the power of the air, who is at work in the sons of disobedience, he has blinded the eyes of those who won't look to Christ And when we begin to see with spiritual eyes, then we see things differently. People are not our enemies anymore, even if they disagree with us. There are people who have been blinded by an enemy who is real. We we pray differently. When our kids are struggling, when our kids seem like they just refuse to see truth and follow truth and honor truth and we're so frustrated and we're struggling, we have to know that those are spiritual things. And browbeating don't work. Only prayer works. Only prayer works. Every Friday, our outreach team goes out to our homeless neighbors all around the community. And there's a camp that we go into and it's full of addiction and the darkest things things that happen in this city. And when we go in there, there's a spiritual reality that is palpable. We live in the United States of America, and we, we don't like, this stuff is weird, right? We don't like to think about spiritual realities and spiritual beings and spiritual dimensions. But I've been blessed to go all around the world and missions work and I've seen some stuff. I've been to places in the city of Kathmandu and the capital of Nepal. Went to a temple up on the mountain and guys, I just wanna tell you, it's oppressive. There's a spiritual reality. I've been in the mountains of Haiti and I've and I have met a witch doctor and I've I've prayed with people who who were trying to come out of voodoo and, and this crazy spiritual reality. I cut a little amulet off of these two little twin babies that was this you know. It's it's real. And we don't see it in the same way in our culture, but there is a spiritual war raging in your life too. It just looks like a phone. It just looks like a TV. It just looks like advertisements. It just looks like the news. It just looks like a a culture that is trying to convince you to embrace its values. But that is spiritual. It's just as spiritual as a witch doctor. And we have to open our eyes to that reality. Because if we don't, then we just sit back and we let it wash over us. But there is a struggle. There is a battle. It's not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual realities in this world. But the good news is that Jesus holds the keys. You are not a victim. You are a victor. Romans 8 says, We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Not only did God give us his son, Jesus Christ, and if he gave us him, what else will he not give us? (laughs) I'm convinced that death nor life, angels or demons, things present nor things to come, the prophecies of Daniel, none of those things can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so to live as exiles and strangers, faithful, we must be aware of the spiritual realities around us. And that should drive us to our knees, just like it did Daniel. That should drive us to a contending, fervent prayer, just like it did Daniel. That we should battle in prayer for our family for our nation, for our loved ones, for our community, for those who are broken and enslaved to sin all around us. To those who have been blinded by the evil one, we must contend and battle in prayer. By the way, if you're wondering, that's what kind of church we are. (laughs) That's what kind of church we ought to be. And sometimes we just get comfortable. We say, that's just... Dustin, that's just weird, man. You sound like a weirdo. But that's, that's the battle, guys. At nine o'clock every Sunday, during, during the Sunday school Bible study hour, I gather with a handful of people and we just pray. We've been doing it for the last few weeks and this morning I just thought, this is it. This is the battle. This is the battleground. Next Sunday night, first Sunday prayer. Or every first Sunday of the month, we gather at 530 in a live room for prayer. That's the battle. I, I urge you to be there. Now, every time I talk about it, I urge y'all and about 30 people show up. There's more than 30 people in here, I'm just saying. I, I, I hope you'll join us because there are spiritual realities in this world and prayer is the weapon that we've been given. I would encourage you this week, read Ephesians chapter six where Paul talks about the, armor of God, talks about these spiritual strongholds that take place in our lives. Unresolved anger that opens the door for the enemy to have a foothold, a stronghold in our life. Unresolved trauma that opens the door for the enemy to have a foothold, a stronghold in our life. Things that we refuse to let God have control of opens up a, a, a place for the enemy to have a stronghold in our life and those are spiritual realities. So we're gonna sing a song. We're gonna have a time to respond. Now maybe this morning you're in a spiritual battle and this morning you, it, it's just really clear to you that it's spiritual, it's not physical. It's not a personality conflict. It's not just rebellious kids, it's, it's a spiritual battle. And maybe this morning you, you just wanna come and pray for that. Maybe there's some of you who, who you just, you don't like thinking about that kind of stuff. It makes you, weirds you out, makes you uncomfortable. <laughs> and this morning, maybe you just need to pray, God, help me, help me. Help me to recognize that this is real and, and that this matters. Help me to submit to you in this area of my life. Th- this is God's word. This is, I'm not just making this stuff up. Maybe there's some of you in here, you've never come to a place of faith in your life. Ephesians 2 says, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were ruled by the prince of the power of the air. The biggest spiritual battle that takes place takes place when a dead person, spiritually dead person, comes alive through Jesus Christ. That's the biggest spiritual battle that will ever take place. And for some of you, that battle is raging and you haven't, you haven't switched sides yet (laughs) scripture says until you do you you are a son of disobedience you're you're ruled by the prince of the power of the air and that's not to say come to the good team that that's to say please 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 God please We we urge you, be reconciled to God. We plead with you because we love you, because we, we know that God is a God who knows what's best, wants what's best, and has the power to pull it off. And until you submit to his truth, it just doesn't work. So maybe there's somebody who needs to come to faith in Jesus Christ today. So why don't you stand up with me? I'm gonna pray, we're gonna sing, and as we're singing, I invite you to respond however God is drawing you today. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you hold the keys. We don't have to be afraid, but we have to be aware. So open our eyes to the spiritual realities all around us. Help us to see things for what they are. And to go to you, the only one who can strengthen us. Lord, I pray for those who need to be encouraged today. Encourage them. I pray for those who need to be challenged today. Challenge them. And for those who need to come to faith, God save them today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing, I invite you to respond however God is calling you.